for you and your life? Do you find yourself daydreaming about things you hardly ever get to experience? Do you set goals that you can't wait to achieve and then suddenly realize you're making no headway? You're not alone. So many of us are living a version of our lives that is less than what we deserve. We're ready for more, but the problem is we don't know how to get it. This podcast's intention is to fill you up with tips, tricks, and tools to unlock your motivation, get energized, and begin living a life of your wildest dreams. Let's do this. I'm Ashley, and this is the Sparks Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Sparks Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Smith, and I am super excited to be joined today by a good friend, Amy Schmidt. Amy is a writer, tarot reader, and certified Reiki healer and story empowerment coach from Los Angeles, California. She found fantasy novels at the age of seven, which I love, um, and never looked back. Now she's on a never-ending quest for the perfect cup of coffee. So Amy, thank you so much for being here. And please tell us if you found that perfect cup of coffee. <laughs> you know, Ashley, um, it, like I said, it is a never ending quest. Um, I, <laughs> I don't think that perfection is really possible for anything, but I have come pretty damn close okay. to perfection. Yeah. Hotter, hotter iced 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 yes. and i know that there are a lot of coffee snobs that will come at me for that but um you know they're not wrong like coffee should be enjoyed however you love it and i firmly believe that it's a very personal choice choice oh my yes. god um personally my choice is iced coffee and that's just me I'm with you there. I was shivering in a house that was like 54 degrees this week and still had my iced coffee. So, Girl, like I am right there with you. I literally cannot do, I, I just do iced coffee, whatever the weather. It's just there. That's how I like it. It is. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, thank you for joining me. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm um, so excited to be here. Yes. And I'm glad for the audience here to meet you because guys, Amy and I, once we get on a topic, we roll and roll and roll. So I think there's going to be it some is, good stuff. It really is the never ending story. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> Absolutely. So what, let's just jump in. If you wouldn't mind, could you just tell us a bit about your background, what you're doing now, how you got to where you are, all that good stuff? Oh, wow. Um, my background. Well, you know, once upon a time, there was a little girl who was born. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally kidding. But um, in all seriousness, I was born in LA. I come from a very large, very gregarious family who encouraged me to follow my dreams. And um, my dreams were to travel and to read books and to write books. And I went to college with that in mind. And uh, I went to USC, shout out to the Trojans, all the Trojans who are out there listening and fight on. And <laughs> um, I, you know, I got accepted for a degree in creative writing and I spent like three years working towards that. Took a took a semester abroad in Ireland, which was epic. Found love, lost love, you know, the whole nine yards. And then I came back and I had this professor who was a really fascinating specimen. 
you know, she is a pretty famous writer in her own right, but she was married to an even more famous and very controversial writer. Oh. And yeah, and she was kind of infamous in the department because everyone knew that she had been married to this writer. I feel weird saying who her husband was just because he's sure. extremely well-known and controversial. And the second I say his name, like anyone will know. Yeah. But I'll call her Margaret. I'm going to call my professor Margaret. But um, basically, Margaret said these really controversial things in class. And she was the type of person who you just really wanted to impress, you know, mm. and she'd published a bunch of books and she knew a lot about fiction and you just really wanted her to 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 commend you for what you'd written, you know, mm-hmm. and I just wanted to impress her. And then one day I met with her outside of class and I was doing a um, solo study project for the next semester. And she basically inveigled herself into being my faculty advisor. And I hadn't been planning on asking her, but I was like, oh, wow, this is great. Like, you know, she's this famous faculty member. I think this is going to be awesome. And she's going to hold me to the grindstone. It didn't work that way. Um, She didn't send me any reminder emails. She didn't do anything. And I know that it was my independent study, but I found that family loss and depression and a lot of other things just end up being like the perfect storm of events for Mm -hmm. really, really destructive behavior. And as it turned out, she was not the best advisor to deal with stuff like that. And she wasn't very compassionate. And I wound up getting an email from her telling me that I would be worth nothing more than dime store mass market fiction. Oh my gosh. And wow, like that was quite a thing. And so now it's funny because like six years since then, we're diving right into the deep heavy. Um, But but I went through this whole odyssey of like thinking that I was going to work in film, realizing that film wasn't for me, realizing that I just wasn't meant for a career in Hollywood. It's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, I really, what I realized was that I really wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to work with people one-on-one I really and what I really wanted what was so important to me was that I really wanted to tell stories and I really wanted to tell stories that resonated with people and I really wanted to help people find their stories like for our generation one of our big stories that one of the stories that found us was Harry Potter for example or Game of Thrones or any number of those other things that really helped us find the people that like helped us turn on those lights of Ah, inquiry, you know? Absolutely. And for any kid who grows up and wants to be a writer, I just, or wants to tell stories, I want them to know that you can do it. It doesn't matter what anyone says. And for those of you out there who want to write dime store mass market fiction, go out and do it girl, like, or guy or whoever, (laughs) like that, is a genre that makes a lot of money and you can be very successful and um but 
it took me a really long time to get my confidence back as a writer. And in the meantime, I found tarot and I found coaching and I found Reiki. I found all of the new age modalities that I realized that I could do and do well. And I started building up my confidence back in those areas. Yeah. And kind of by accident, my day job found me and it was the best day job I could ever ask for. And now I ghostwrite Dime Store Mass Market Fiction for Kindle. (laughs) No way. That's something I didn't know. (laughs) I'm a romance novel ghostwriter and I love my job. I love it so much. That is amazing. I can't believe I didn't know that about you. (laughs) I... I love my job. I love books. I love romance novels. And I don't want to hear from anyone that romance novels are not worth reading. They're enormously worth reading. And I love a good romance novel. So I'm with Girl, you. come on. Who does not love a good romance novel? <laughs> yeah, and if you say you don't, you're lying. <laughs> if you say you don't, you are so lying. Come on. I, I challenge anyone to open up their Kindle app and not show me like at least a few bodice rippers in there. (laughs) Bodice rippers. That's incredible. (laughs) I love this. Thank you so much for sharing all of this. I I feel like so much to dig into so much. I want to ask about, um, go please. I'm here for you. (laughs) All right. We'll roll in. We'll roll in. Let's Um, roll in girl. So I know you talked about like part of what helped you get your confidence back was focusing on your confidence in other areas like tarot and Reiki and some of those things. Um, Mm -hmm. But what do you think, or is there anything, how did you process and work through that really tough emotional period between having this professor and getting to where you are now doing all these things that you love? I had for my own emotional well-being, I really had to take a break from fiction, which had been my love and which had been my, um, you know, my cause and what I had gone to school for. And it was really difficult, but um, it was kind of just so necessary for my mental health. I really just kind of had to break away for a little while at least. And I started I got on Medium, actually, which is an amazing platform for anyone who's interested in writing. It's, I think it's very supportive. I found a lot of support on there. And the great thing about it, it's basically YouTube for writers and is how I like to think of it. And you can get paid eventually if you make it onto the metered paywall, but in the same way that anyone who creates content for YouTube does it out of passion like that's how you create really great content for youtube or for tiktok or any any content creators will tell you like don't worry about the money just write what you want to write because the second you start worrying about the clicks and the all that shit like you'll just lose your spark and um medium and just writing about what I cared about and writing from like a perspective like a vulnerability and this is real this is me that really 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 helped me and um 
my best friend who had been one of my biggest cheerleaders and one of the most important people in the world to me passed away a little over a year after I graduated from college. Wow. And he had been a writer. He had been an amazing poet and losing him was such a wound and we had talked about going back to our old high school and like revamping the creative writing program oh yeah and yeah and he had said like he would teach poetry and i would teach fiction writing and how fun it would be and um losing him was such a deep wound that i was just kind of like i have to write for him yeah and he always championed my writing he was always such a cheerleader of mine Mm -hmm. so losing him allowed me to kind of like take baby steps back into my courage but a really big part of getting my confidence back was forgiving myself for believing Margaret right, and forgiving myself for putting so much trust in her. Because before I'd like really talked down to myself about like how I shouldn't have given her as much credence as I had and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. But I did a lot of mindset work around that. I forgave myself a lot for that. And I ended up getting a lot better. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. It's amazing. It's amazing to me that you were able to at such an already difficult time, then also process the loss of someone so close to you. Um, but so you kind of used your friend as, as motivation and inspiration. And I love that doing it for him. That's so nice. And mm-hmm. do you think through the process of writing after that, you felt connected to him in some way. Now, when i write is probably when i feel most connected to him yeah um there are very particular moments when i feel connected to him and writing eating really great dessert (laughs) um listening to music by like feminist icons um he we had this joint playlist that we made called the power ladies playlist oh wow Um, that's amazing he loved Katy Perry. One time he dressed up in full Katy Perry drag and went to a concert. And that is perfect. <laughs> he was just the best guy. And um, yeah, um, so, but definitely when I write, I feel, um, I feel very connected to him. Yeah. How do you say, you had said you talked about creating content out of passion. Um, how does that come up for you? How does that, I don't know. Cause even from my perspective, like I try and create content at times as well. And it can be so difficult to, when you're trying so hard, you know? Mm -hmm. So how do you find that passion, I guess, or how do you, how have you personally leveraged it for yourself? You know, like anyone who creates content, anyone who writes, anyone who makes videos, anyone who makes music will t- will know those block moments when it's like so hard to get yourself to the computer or the piano or whatever you use to make your stuff. And 
in those moments, I mean, it's different from my job because my job is just my job and like I can I can force myself to do my job. Right. Um, and in those moments, it's just kind of whatever. But um, for what I am trying to write, for what I want to create for myself, I always ask myself the question, what would I want to read? Yeah. What would I want to hear from someone? And that question makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think too, it, it reminds me of how people say, like, especially even in our coaching areas of expertise, it's like create the content that helped you learn, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, exactly. Not trying to like reach the 10,000 people out there you haven't reached, but just reach the two people that are watching, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because those two people are going to are gonna gain the most from you. Yeah. And like, if you're shouting at 10,000 people and none of them listen, how's that gonna make you feel? Two people and those two people tell you that you changed their life. What a gift. What a gift. That is so beautiful. And I'm going to put that quote on <laughs> the marketing materials for this yes. episode. <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you. But also, so you're a story coach. I am. Yeah. So I'm curious. <laughs> well, I guess first, first of all, if you could explain what that is. And second of all, um, maybe how this whole journey of yours, growing your confidence back um, and all of that and writing again, got you into whatever this story coaching is. Yeah, absolutely. So um, story coaching, it's funny, a lot of people think that it is um, helping people be better writers. It's not. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be if that's what you want your story to be, if you want your story to be that you are a proficient and excellent writer, then we could work on that and I could coach <laughs> you towards that goal. Um, that could be a topic of conversation, but that's not necessarily the primary objective of story coaching. If I had met me in that moment, it might have been actually, because at that time, my story was that I didn't think I could be a writer. I had been shattered. Like I was continuously telling myself like, you're worth nothing. Your writing is worth nothing. Your writing will make no difference in anyone's life. Um, But, and that was because of an event that had happened in my life. That was because of negative feedback. That was because of something that someone had told me. Um, But through some really intensive work, I was able to rewrite the story of what had happened with Margaret and the events around that and how traumatizing it was. And eventually what came out of that was that I'm actually the hero of my story. I went out and I slayed a dragon. The dragon's name is Margaret or in a way the demon that Margaret created, which is this pain and lack of confidence and anger that I was continuously speaking to myself with. But 
Um, that is story coaching in a nutshell. It's rewriting the story of this traumatic of a traumatic event that has happened to you in your life so that it no longer defines you. Mm -hmm. So that you are able to take your power back and redefine the things that have happened to you. Yeah. I think the most powerful moment in what you just said was talking about the dragon being Margaret and then saying, wait, no, the demon Margaret created, the demons Margaret created inside of you, all of those negative emotions. And I feel like that is exactly what you're talking about here, right? It's taking it so that you're not, so that you, I don't know, how would you explain that? How would you explain that thought process for, behind what that transition was there? Um, I guess just because like Margaret is, Margaret's her own person and she has her own demons that she's wrestling with. I have no idea what they are. And frankly, it's not my business. Um, she also does not have any control over my life. Right. We haven't spoken in six years. Mm. She, she gave me a C minus, which ended up being a passing grade. And then that's the beginning and the end of the control that she has over my life. Yeah. So really like I owe her nothing. She owes me nothing. And that's pretty much it. I could wash, I could have washed my hands with her at the end, like after my graduation, but I, like there was something in me mm -hmm. that had been created by what she had said to me and what she had done to me that couldn't let her go. Right. And that was a monster. That was a demon that I had to confront. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. It's, and I feel like that's, would you say that's what story coaching helped you uncover was that it wasn't, you were holding on to these things that weren't even necessarily her. It was, it had become something new in you. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then if you look at like uh, Joseph Campbell, for example, or Carl Jung or anyone who writes about the hero's journey, mm -hmm. um, everyone talks about like, going out and taking your quest and slaying your dragon whoever that dragon might be we have dragons we have monsters we have all of these like proverbial demons in our lives in in the contemporary world we just don't call them that all the time yeah but regardless of who you are and regardless of what you do there are things that you need to confront yeah. And that's all part of your story. Absolutely. But there is a huge difference in whether you make yourself the hero or whether you make yourself a victim of the dragon. Are you going to be yeah. like a poor idiot who gets like swept up by the dragon and like, oh, oops, you get barbecued. Yeah. Sorry, there's no helping you. Or are you going to go out and like take it down? It's Absolutely. really up to you, but some people need more help doing it than others. And like, if you decide that you need more help, there are people out there who can help you. Yeah. I'm, 
I'm just someone who calls it something a little weird and different. <laughs> something fun, not something weird. Something fun and different. Also weird. I like being weird. <laughs> weird is good. <laughs> weird is great. Do you find that when people come into story coaching, they're beginning in that place of victimhood? Usually, yeah. Yeah. And how does the process go? Like, how do you, because I feel like that can be so hard to break, um, even from my own past. Like, there's a lot of demons out there that I still would have trouble thinking I'm not a victim of, you know? Um, how do you work through that process? It takes a lot of self forgiveness. Mm-hmm. A lot of self forgiveness because normally, and what I found is, it's incredibly backwards because when you are self-pitying, you think like, oh, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, I'm a victim. But in that victim mindset, you're also, I find that when you're talking to yourself like a victim, first of all, it's very condescending and you deserve more respect than that. Secondly, um, you know, you are making yourself out to be this powerless person. Right. And I believe that everyone deserves more credit. Oh, absolutely. Like, regardless of what you were able to do in those circumstances, regardless of how you were able to respond, you deserve more credit as a human as a person who's living in this world, as a person who is trying to live out the story to the best of your ability, you deserve all the respect and all of the credit. And if you haven't been able to speak to yourself in a respectful enough way, then you need to forgive yourself. And I firmly believe that that's where story coaching begins, begins with forgiveness. And then after that, that's kind of where we're able to move forward. We're able to move into this place of like, what do you want your life to look like? What do you want your story to be? What do you want to be able to do if you had absolutely no fear? Mm-hmm. Who would you become? Yeah. So it seems like once you get over that massive hurdle of self-forgiveness, the possibilities just open up like there's nothing holding you back anymore right yeah and the self-forgiveness is a hurdle that we work through you know it's a long process but you have to be willing to take that leap yeah you have to be willing to say i can forgive myself and i am willing to forgive myself Mm -hmm. And then once you take that leap, I will jump in there and I will say, okay, and I'm going to be here to hold your hand this whole time. And now that we've covered that, who do you want to be? Let's get you there. Yes. And that's so amazing too, because I think it's so much harder to go through a process like that if you don't have someone there by your side guiding you and holding your hand. Like even us as coaches – I don't think could survive without our own coaches. <laughs> in some oh, way. no way could we survive without our own coaches. Yeah. Like, and I find it really funny to think that like coaches or therapists could survive without their own coaches and therapists. Yep. Like they carry around the weight of the world. And to be honest, it's kind of like, 
that's a huge burden. There is absolutely no way in the realm of possibility that anyone could carry that without help. Yeah. And let's talk about this too, because um, obviously the listeners don't know, but Amy and I (laughs) like to share with each other when we're going through stuff. And um, we like to share lots with each other. Yeah, exactly. So I was going to say, I just totally lost where I was going with that. But the general theme of where I was going is that, um, that we have so much going on as well, you know, and that even though you're, we're putting out a face of coaching and a face of, um, having all of these ideas and ways to help yourself and get over things that it, the work never stops <laughs> ever. Yeah. And so it can feel, this is some, a point I want to make here for my coaches that are listening and anyone else that's in a helping profession, um, that, you don't have to be that perfect image of wellness and health. And, you know, would you agree? (laughs) No, not even a little. And honestly, it's pretty, it's pretty unrelatable to be perfect all the time. Yeah. And I, I honestly wouldn't want to hire a coach who is perfect all the time. Yeah. I, I genuinely wouldn't think that they would be able to relate to me. Like, I want a wounded warrior. I was discussing this with my therapist the other day. Like, I want a wounded healer. Mm -hmm. And my therapist was like, I had to declare bankruptcy, girl. Like, I get you. And I was like, thank you for understanding where I am coming from. And because there's no such thing as perfection. There is no such thing as anyone who has ever lived a perfect life and those people those heroes that we aspire to all of them have crazy 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 stories so you just need to hold yourself accountable to your own life and if that makes any sense yeah there's a there's a Buddhist quote that I love so much and it's, um, it goes something like it's better to live your own life imperfectly than to live someone else's life to perfection. Wow. That one hits me so deep because I've been going through like a personal crazy thought pattern of the, like thinking I don't have my own personality and I'm always like, (laughs) taking from other people. So that was like the most perfectly timed quote you could have shared on here. Thank you. (laughs) Girl, I am here for you. I am here for you. And it's, it's always, I mean, life is always going to be there for you too. And what's a personality? It's a combination of factors. Yeah. You know, it's a combination of the things that you love. Absolutely. And don't worry, guys, I, I've discovered I do have a personality. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can attest to this. Ashley is so incredibly sparkly and vibrant and has this wonderful personality that I love turning to. So yes, she does. You do. Thank you. Thank you. But your quote also reminds me of of kind of like judgment and that whole thought of um imposter syndrome, which mm-hmm. is I like to talk about how like someone said in a quote sometime that you can't 
you can't judge yourself against someone else without taking all of their baggage on as well. Mm-hmm. So it's exactly like what you said. I can't look at these big idols in the coaching and wellness fields and be like, wow, their life is perfect when I don't know how they struggled getting here. Like there could be 20 years ahead of me in their process, but I'm comparing myself to them like it's the same day, you know? Absolutely. And let's just bring this up because I feel like it's the elephant in the podcast and we should just address it a little bit. And let's talk about Rachel Hollis and her faux apology for a second. Um, Because I can't abide her. I've never been able to abide her. And I think it's really gross that she said that she aspires to be unrelatable. Yeah. And when she's been peddling this fake image of like vulnerability and faux spiritualism and everything. And it's like, girl, girl, how I don't understand why she would mention the names of like RBG and Malala and yeah. um, Rosa, Parks. Yeah. Rosa Parks. And it's like, no, girl, no, girl, check yourself. Let me tell you. I have been going through a crisis since this happened because I don't remember if I told you, but I loved Rachel Hollis, like to oh, my you bone, did? like big time. And I've seen her mess up before and like swept it under the rug. But this one has been, it's like, <laughs> cause obviously I can't stand with that anymore because it has gone too far. Um, And so, yeah, so I've been going through, I'm glad you brought it up because I haven't had a chance to like really comprehend and speak about it at all because it's just been internalizing in me, Mm -hmm. but it is such a good point that it's like very performative. And first of all, what (laughs) real coach out there wants to be unrelatable? I... I genuinely don't understand that point of view. I really don't. Because wouldn't you want to be able to help people based on a perspective that you have been through something that they are going through? Like that you've been where they are? Exactly. And I feel like it could have been so much easier for there was a very easy way for her not to go down the path she went down, <laughs> you know? There were about a thousand things that she could have said that would have been better yeah. than what she said. And then the second thing too, like it makes me, like I said, I loved her for so long. It's hard to like bash her like this, but she she deserves to be called out on this stuff. Um, yeah, 100%. But was her follow-up to it, which was blaming her team and that was so I can't I cannot believe that she blamed her team when it was her that said everything that she said and she yeah. said it in one stream of consciousness thing there's literally no way to take it out of context yep exactly and it's like when you fuck up you got to own that fuck up and you got to apologize and make amends and actually make change instead of just like I said, it was performative instead of just pretending that something's mm-hmm. going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, it's been a rough week. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, I I, I felt this way when uh, J.K. Rowling kept digging herself into the trans hole. And I was like, yeah. no. It can be really hard don't. when people you consider to be your heroes totally show their true colors in ways like that. 
It's distressing. And this is actually another thing that I would love to address um, is the people that have created your favorite stories to anyone out there who um, feels that their heroes have let them down because something that they've created really resonated with you or something that they have um, invented really resonated with you or something along those lines. People are imperfect. Everyone in the world is imperfect and everyone in the world will screw up. Mm -hmm. Now, what you need to judge them on is not whether they screw up because screwing up is inevitable, but how they respond to their screw up, in my opinion. I think that's true. It shows a lot of who you are and how you value those around you Mm -hmm. because it's how you respond to it is how you treat other people, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And people like J.K. Rowling, Rachel Hollis, and da, 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 Ted Cruz. Who, oh, God. Who, <laughs> sorry, went to King. <laughs> sorry, I'm so sorry, but it had we to be there. said. We, we went, went there. there. <laughs> we went there. Um, Ted Cruz, who went to Cancun and blamed his daughter, like, Ayo, that, that was a choice. It sure was a choice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so I feel like, I guess to just like bring it a little bit back in. So sorry, that was no, a that was a no. tangent. <laughs> a very necessary and important tangent, and I think it connects very well to what we're talking about, which is if you do mess up, if you do err in some way, even if it's not public, like these people's were public, um, it's finding ways to work through it and ways to to, you know, I don't know, turn it around for yourself. So I guess where I'm trying to get back to is like the idea that we're messing up all the time, like you said. And a lot of that messing up can even be doing things like blaming ourselves and believing our demons and doing things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, your demons are very convincing. That's part of, you know, there's, that's part of, you know, the liturgy and, you know, a lot of religious texts and the reason why the devil and the demons like present themselves as being very attractive and very believable and very tempting. It's because you want to believe what they say. And unfortunately, it's a lot easier to believe the negative things about ourselves than it is to believe the positive. And that's, again, where self-forgiveness comes in. Yeah. So I want to talk about um limiting beliefs work Mm -hmm. um specifically with you because everyone here amy helps me out of a big hole by just merely suggesting (laughs) i do limiting beliefs work because that's i love limiting beliefs work (laughs) like i said i mean i was sitting there stewing in feelings and stuff and like i'm a coach but i didn't think to do limiting beliefs work because i'm in my own head you know so that's kind of why i brought that up earlier that we need those people outside of us to help like knock you together basically hey coaches need coaches um it's so true and yeah I I love limiting beliefs work and I was actually talking to my mom the other day about how much I love being friends with people who are also rising coaches yes because they're the ones who think to suggest like 
limiting beliefs work, EFT tapping, Mm -hmm. um, all kinds of other amazing techniques. And um, limiting beliefs are, a limiting beliefs exercise is amazing just because it factors into those stories that you are telling yourself about yourself or oh my God, pardon me, or about your circumstance or about your environment. It can be about anything, anything. And it's like strangely easy to break yourself out of that place, but you have to be willing to believe it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, I was thinking like the reason I thought to come back to this after talking about our heroes Mm -hmm. who've messed up so publicly is Mm -hmm. that I feel like when you can or when you do there's even utility in before responding taking a moment to do some of that work and it can even be like you know I have limiting beliefs around money and around like success and stuff like that but it can be as um as deep as something like you know I think these people are reacting defensively is what I'm trying to say. And so there's a way oh, to yeah. process that doing this work so that your first reaction isn't defensive and it's more of a learning mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. And especially these people in particular, just because like the thing that what I've noticed that you have that a lot of people have in common is a limiting belief about privilege. Yes. And a limiting belief about checking your privilege and if you've gotten to a point where you are being defensive about the things that you have earned then what are you doing like there's there is some deep work that needs to be done and there's no harm I I feel in acknowledging what you have, mm-hmm. as long as you are aware that others don't always share it. Yes, so true. And I guess since there's probably many people on here that don't really know what limiting beliefs work is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. outline it a little bit so they know what we're but talking outline about. Outline it. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So just for example, Let's give an example. Just why don't we act out a little example? Um, A lot of the time people will have limiting beliefs about romance. Yes. Um, And a lot of these limiting beliefs can come from a couple of failed relationships or from having people ghost you, which sucks. Sure does. (laughs) Sure does. And we all know how much being ghosted sucks. But it happens and you never know why you're ghosted right like it could be an issue with the person it can be um a sudden emergency it can be that you guys just didn't click but the feeling of being ghosted is so shitty yes and immediately i've known people who have started spiraling into the it's me. I'll never find love. I'll never find a partner. I'll never, I'll never be worthy of being loved. Just 
any number of beliefs about themselves and love that are limiting mm-hmm. and limited. So immediately when you find yourself going down that road, think you stop yourself and you think about the belief that you have. Try to narrow it down to one sentence. So say you've been ghosted and your belief is, I will never be worthy of love because I've never experienced it. Mm -hmm. Or because no people respect me enough to like have a second date with me or whatever it is. Ask yourself if that belief is true. Yeah. Can you know without a shadow of a doubt? Can you know with 100% certainty that it's true? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, why? Why do you know with 100% certainty that it's true? If the answer is no, if there's even 1% of doubt that it's true, then how do you know it's not true? Give me three, like list three examples that you are worthy of love, that you know that you will find love someday. Mm -hmm. And those three examples have to be concrete. They have to be real examples from life. So for me, when I was doing my limiting belief about romance, my three examples were I've had some pretty successful dates in my time. Mm-hmm. I have felt love. And I'll know it when I see it. Like, mm-hmm. because I have felt love, like, I know what respect looks like. And mm-hmm. the person that is meant to be my partner will respect me. Yeah. So... Those are three pretty concrete examples, I think. Yeah. And then once you've come up with those three concrete examples, um, you say that you forgive yourself for the misunderstanding of this belief because the truth is that you are worthy of whatever brilliant, amazing truth Mm -hmm. you've discovered. That is my favorite part of limiting beliefs work is that sentence. It is, I think, the most powerful part for me. Once you've gone through and determined, like you have these proof, you have proof that it's not true, you know? So then when you're finally able to say, I forgive myself, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's the craziest part, too, is that you have substantial proof. You have way more proof that it's not true than that it is true. But it takes a minute to sift through and find the proof. Mm-hmm. But and it's that's, it. yeah, it's so, oh my God, it's so worth the three minutes of yes. sifting. <laughs> I would say, too, if if this feels intense for you to do to just start without having done it with a coach um well first of all reach out to me or amy but second of all yes absolutely um, reach out to us yeah there's an app um called the work 
right? Is oh my God. I love the work. Yes. Byron Katie's the work and it leads you through these prompts in what Amy just talked about. And it is amazing. And then you can look back on your shifts over time too, because it stores them all in there. It keeps them as a journal. And one of the things that I love most about having the work app is that you can see how much you've grown as you've done this exercise over and over and over and over. And it's really incredible to chart your growth in that way. Yeah. And I've noticed too, looking back, there's a lot of things that now don't even seem like like it doesn't even occur to me to be limited in that belief. So when I mm-hmm. look back on it, I'm like, whoa, look how, you know, that was, that was such a small thing. Look how I overcame. That was such a different Ashley. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. <laughs> Damn. I know. I, I feel the same. I have so many things that I've worked through in, in the work and I, when you look back and you're like, wow, I thought that really like, that's cute. (laughs) It's amazing. Big time. That's probably like, I'd say that's probably one of my number one recommendations for people trying to make a change because it's so powerful. It's an incredibly powerful mindset tool. Absolutely. It's, I think it's one of my top five mindset tools. Mm, what what people. else do you have in there? You don't have to tell. Oh, that. girl. Oh, girl. Um, EFT. EFT yeah. tapping. Um, EFT is great. I don't do it enough. EF- oh, I mean, <laughs> should we plan a date? Yeah, we should probably. <laughs> Let's plan an EFT date. Um, I really love gra- my gratitude journal. Yeah, that's such a powerful one because too, I love that it's like physically impossible to feel a fear-based emotion when you're feeling gratitude. It's true. And even if fear comes up, it just kind of like drifts away like a ghost yeah. on the wind. Yeah. Um, if you're in the middle of feeling gratitude. Let's um we have just talked about so much amazing stuff right now. And I don't want we to have. skip over the other cool part of your life, which is tarot and Reiki. Um, yes. So we'll put a pin in this until we hit like a part two of deep emotional talks podcast. Um, <laughs> um, and talk about, we'll come back anytime and talk about deep emotional things. <laughs> well, tarot might relate. Does it? I don't know. How'd you get started? It actually, it actually so does. Um, I started reading tarot when I was about 13 and um, a friend had invited me over to her house and she was one of my friends who I like loved talking fairy tales and fan- fantasy novels and all that fun jazz with. And she showed me her tarot deck and I was like, what? Cards that can tell the future. Yeah. And I was like, you mean you can be a witch in real life? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I was fascinated. And then my bat mitzvah rolled around and I got a bunch of gift cards to Borders. Mm. R.I.P. Borders. Oh, R.I.P. I loved them. They were so great. Um, <laughs> but if you go to any bookstore, any bookstore has a metaphysics section and they sell tarot cards. And I went with my mom and I spent one of the gift cards on a 
on an intro tarot deck. And then I had a super religious aunt that decided to shame me out of reading tarot. Oh no. <laughs> she told me that God would hate it forever if I <laughs> decided to read tarot cards. And I was like, well, I don't want God to hate me. So yeah. <laughs> um, I put them away and then I didn't touch them for a while. I found out later that my mom had sold them in a, in a garage sale, which I didn't blame her for. Like I wasn't using them. And then when I was, when I'd graduated from college, a friend, a new friend who had like kind of waltzed into my life and just declared herself a witch, like, and was super into reading tarot and oracle cards, um, gifted me a new deck for my birthday. And I started to practice and started practicing on friends. And then I started practicing on more friends and then I bought another deck and then I started practicing on friends in public. And then a lady walked up to me when I was reading in a coffee shop and asked me how much I charged for a reading. And I was like, $25, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Because you have to start somewhere and I had no idea how much to ask for. And that was it and i have been reading cards for about five or six years and no five years and i love every second of it i would not change it for the world and now i'm like a deck magpie i just collect decks i love them and um yeah i've had some pretty intense moments like within the within the realm of tarot to say nothing of emotional sessions it gets it gets heavy definitely what would you say is the most rewarding part for you of reading for clients oof um that's that's a hard question just because I it's all it's all like very rewarding I I love it when my clients are respectful that's a big thing and um I think I love being able to like allay clients fears that's Mm -hmm. a big part because a lot of the times people come to me because they're afraid about the future and they're afraid about possibilities and Mm -hmm. I just to give an example, I'm not going to say her name because I want to um, protect her identity, but I had one client and she's still just a favorite human of mine. She came to me because she was very worried about her son and his pregnant wife. And his wife had had some tests that proved very worrisome and they were very concerned about the baby. And thought that he might be born with a handicap and Mm. um, a couple other very debilitating issues. And um, I was reading her cards and I basically said to her, like, he's going to be fine, but you need to find a way to take the pressure off of worrying about him. Mm -hmm. And 
what was insane was that she injured her hand and all of a sudden lost all her ability really to worry about him and started worrying about herself. Yeah. And then I gave her Reiki for her hand and then she started getting better. And the baby was born a couple of weeks ago and he's completely fine. Oh, wow. And what's even crazier is that her hand is better now. Right. That is so, that's so awesome. I love hearing yeah. that. And she messaged me after the baby was born and she said to me, and I will never, ever, ever, ever forget this message. It was, I think, one of the best messages I've ever gotten from a client. She said, he was born this morning, seven pounds, like 15 ounces of perfection. Thank you for allaying our fears thank you for giving us something to be hopeful about thank you for making us calmer i'll never forget you i'll never forget the way that you just became invested in our family and she said just like such kind things to me i i'm i want to cry just thinking about her i love her so much and i love the baby too like i love him i haven't even met him but i just love him and um that's that's incredibly that's incredibly gratifying for me is mm-hmm. being able to create some security in a very insecure world. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so beautiful. It must be so amazing to have moments like that. I it's why I do what I do. Like if I wasn't able to get some feedback like that that I actually have helped people, then, I mean, I'd put the cards away and probably sell them in a garage sale and say, I'm done. But I, I love, 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 love doing it. And I've incorporated tarot into my coaching packages because of it. Um, in part, because I just get so invested in my tarot clients and I'm just like, I just want to know that you're like, okay. But, (laughs) um, But yeah, and then we kind of work towards creating like an outcome that feels good within the cards and within within what you want and within all of any kind of future possibilities that seem desirable to you. That sounds amazing. And I hope (laughs) everyone listening reaches out to you about this because seriously, game changer, life changer. Ah. (laughs) So before we head out and I get your info on how people can contact you, uh, I just want to ask you a couple of last questions that I ask everyone. Yes. Uh, Yes. And first of all, thank you so much. This went so many amazing places and I think there's so much people are going to get out of this I love it I was so happy to be here thank you for coming thank you ah thank you for inviting me on (laughs) yes absolutely um it's been a long time coming getting on here with you yeah Um, absolutely (laughs) so first question what Uh are you consuming right now be it books television movies whatever oof um What am I consuming right now? Oh, I am consuming um, a book called, a book series by this woman named Bridget Kemmerer. And she wrote a series called, or the first book is called A Curse So Dark and Lonely. Oh. And 
you you know i can't resist those ya fantasy books they're beautiful <laughs> and um so far it's fantastic i will definitely update you as yeah. i get further into it i just started it but the other book that i'm reading right now because i can't help not reading two at once is Same. um damien eccles memoir life after death yes and it is absolutely incredible I freaking love that man. He, it, like, you and I, you know how obsessed I am with his yeah. story. But, like, <laughs> even just outside of his story, which is completely bonkers, if you do not know about the West Memphis Three, please, please, please look up the documentary West of Memphis. That's another thing that I've consumed. Um, but Damien Eccles is one of the West Memphis Three, and he's this absolutely magnificent writer and his books are so lovely and so well written and I highly recommend them that's so funny too that you say brought that up I didn't realize you were still reading it because I think last week maybe on the podcast I suggested the morbid podcast to my friend because you told me about the West Memphis 3 episode in there so yes I did because Ash and Elena are my queens and I I actually tagged them in an Instagram story I did with my mom where oh my we gosh. quoted them and um yeah uh that's another thing that I'm consuming I'm consuming their podcast it's a good one podcast. everyone check it out please <laughs> please 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 give Ash and Alina a listen the morbid podcast um awesome. if you're into true crime <laughs> who's not right no <laughs> my mom gets mad at me she's like turn it off I can't listen to that yeah. stuff <laughs> I know I love those memes when it's like a husband and a wife and the wife is so into like not even reacting to the horrible things being said on the screen because we're so used to it and the husband's like mm -hmm. oh my god <laughs> they're the funniest I know I know I know and then people look at us like we're the delicate flowers and I'm just like ha, 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 ha. yeah I think I SNL just did a skit about a husband going out for the night and he's like are you gonna be okay honey or whatever and then he leaves and there's they made this whole song about watching true crime podcasts yep for, yep for watching true crime i guess watching true crime documentaries <laughs> it's so true it's so accurate right <laughs> so before we continue geeking out on true crime let's move to my second question yes um which is you already know the story of discovering sparks so does my audience so i'm gonna skip through all the questions uh or the explanation and just ask you what mm -hmm. are the things that spark happiness and joy in your days that you look for, especially on days when you're feeling down? My nieces, um, they are the loves of my life. Um, really good music, mm. like really, really, really good music, either from like, I, I cannot stop listening to Hamilton. Oh, love um, it. and, um, honestly wicked the wicked soundtrack um and anything that i can dance around my room to i love just blasting some music and dancing and then also going for walks and like smelling some really amazing flowers causes me to find some sparks love the flowers love hamilton love the flowers love all of your i don't know your nieces but i'm sure i'd love them too <laughs> Oh, you would adore them. You would adore them and they would love you. You have some excellent sparks. Thank you for sharing. 
Thank you. And last question is, um, if you could give like a real quick sentence pep talk to someone trying to follow their dreams, but they're struggling to get started, what would you say to them? Um, I think I would say only apologize when you screw up and don't apologize for anything else. Mm. That one is awesome. especially especially not for doing what you want and not and definitely not for doing what makes you happy. Yes. Oh my god, snap to that. That is so so great. And I think it might have been when we did so for everyone, Amy and I did a coaching academy thing together. And I think mm-hmm. one of the things they told us in there or someone posted was that they had spent a week trying not to apologize in work emails. And instead of saying like, sorry for the delay to say, thank you for your patience. And yeah. And I just, yeah. Think so powerful because I don't know about everybody else listening, but I apologize way too much. <laughs> I do too. And it's even funnier considering that I wrote a piece on my medium called what I learned from saying from replacing I'm sorry with I'm sexy. Yes, that's where it came from. It was you. (laughs) (laughs) I should have known. Um, That was great. I can, um, if anyone wants to read it, I can send Ashley the link to put in the show notes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Everyone has to read it. It's perfect. (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's what inspired someone to change it in their emails. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my God. Yay. So it was all yay. thanks to you. <laughs> that makes me so unbelievably happy. That's amazing. Yes. Please send me that. We will absolutely put it in the show notes. Yes, I will. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amy. Before we go, can you just let everybody know where to find you on platforms and everything and how to contact you if they want to work with you? Absolutely. Um, please, please, please like follow me anywhere you want. Um, I'm on all the platforms, unfortunately. At, <laughs> um, uh, I'm on Instagram at Amy Reads Things with uh, an underscore between Amy and Reads and another underscore between Reads and Things. And um, I know it's confusing, but hey, just a straight Amy Reads Things was taken. And <laughs> Um, I'm on TikTok at Amy Reads Things and I'm on Twitter at Amy Yael Schmidt and you can email me at amyreadsthings at gmail.com and um, I do remote Reiki, remote tarot, remote coaching and I also do remote sound baths if that is something that you are into. Yes, absolutely. Guys, I've been to her sound baths. They're amazing. Check it out. (laughs) Yay. Oh my God. Thank you for the plug. Of course. Thank you so much for being here. This was such an incredible conversation. Obviously, I'm not surprised because we always have good combos when we're together. But (laughs) Always. We're unstoppable. Unstoppable. Heck yeah. That's a good song to put on your power playlists. Unstoppable. That is such a good song to put on your power playlist. I actually have an incredible power playlist if oh you want. God. Yeah, we should cross-reference. Let's cross-reference yes. our playlists. Um, because I would love to build one too for to like share on social for people just mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. we'll talk. Guys, we'll talk. 
<laughs> we'll, we'll talk. And guys, if you want access to our playlist, uh, you can probably reach out to either of us and let us yes. know and we will work on sharing that. Heck yes, because everyone needs a power playlist. <laughs> everyone needs a power playlist. Also, like, let us know how you dance around your room because I can't dance, but I do it anyway. <laughs> a lot of hopping involved in mine. Yeah. Tons of hopping. Yes. I see you, Ashley. Oh, thank you. Anyways, thank you so much for being here. Um, and Thanks for having me. Everyone got something amazing out of this podcast. Please, whatever you got out, share a quote on Instagram and tag us in it so we can see what you loved here. Um, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you.